Good morning and welcome to um, this session of Freely Give. This morning we will be in Revelation, um, starting in chapter 6, uh, verse 9, and we'll be going through chapter 7, um, verse 8. So um, we'll get started, and again, this will be in lesson format. And if you'd like a copy of the lesson, you can email me, McHale at yahoo.com. J-E-A-N-N-E-M-C-H-A-L-E at yahoo.com. And we'll get started. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time together. And we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We pray that you would teach us what you would have us to know, that you would be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I will read... Um, starting in Revelation chapter 6, starting at verse 9 through 7, um, chapter 7, verse 8, and I'm using the New Living Translation. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. As I watched, I watched as the Lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs, falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the rock, to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath is come, and who is able to survive? Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so they did not blow on the earth or the sea, or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel, from Judah, 12,000, from Reuben, 12,000, from Gad, 12,000, from Asher, 12,000, from Naphtali, 12,000, from Manasseh, 12,000, from Simeon, 12,000, from Levi, 12,000, from Issachar, 12,000, from Zebulun, 12,000, from Joseph, 12,000, from Benjamin, 12,000. Okay, 
So we will get right into it in verses 9 to 11. What did John see when Jesus broke the fifth seal? Now, this is the seal where the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony are revealed. And we, I just have to make mention here that every time a seal is broken, there's a judgment upon the earth. And then this time, um, when a seal is broken, we see the martyrs and their prayers are sent up to God. And to me, that's very interesting. It is extremely interesting how personal um, the Lord takes it. It's uh, when, when he, during um, Paul's conversion, when he was still Saul, and he asked him the question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we can see um, how personal the Lord takes it. Um, the persecution of his saints, his children. This is of the seven seals. One of the seals is his people being martyred and their prayers going up to his ears. And that that is very interesting and it's very significant to me. That is very significant. And um, so when John broke the fifth seal, that's what he saw. The souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and being faithful in their testimony. And the fact it says, who are these martyrs and where are they? They are under the altar. And that is where um, the sacrifices were placed. So that is indicating that their lives are a sweet aroma, a sacrifice to God. And um, the question, who are these martyrs? The question is, are they simply the martyrs that were, are they only the ones that were um, um, martyred during the tribulation? Or are they all of the ones from the, you know, from the beginning until now? Um, in Hebrews chapter 11, um, starting at verse 35, 35b actually, it says, um, and going through verse 40, but others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And remember that they were too good for this world. If that's you being mistreated, if that's you um, being um, 
singled out, if that's you being not invited to places, if that's you not being chosen for things, remember that. They were too good for this world. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. So um, God is saying all his children are going to come to perfection together. And so are these all, or it seems possible in chapters by the, um, what we'll see next time in chapter seven, that they might be just the, tribulation martyrs we're not sure we don't know we're not told um okay but we do know that they're that this is a special sacrifice to god and um we do know that um the suffering of his saints matters to him so what are they given and what are they told? God gives them a white robe and tells them to rest a little longer until the full number comes in. And see, they are still under the altar. So they are not yet what one of the commentators calls out in the heavenly scene. They are waiting for the full number of their brethren. But when we see them in the next chapter we see that they kind that they we will see what happens with them and we will see why god tells them to wait and he has a reason and i want that to be an encouragement to you today that if you see others out and doing things and god is asking you to wait Remember, God has a reason. He's preparing you for something. He has something for you. So remember that. Okay, and in verses, read verses 12 to 14. Describe what happened when Jesus opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth as green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll and all of the mountains and islands were removed from their places. So a very cataclysmic event. Um, and we will see in a couple of verses that God gives them a reprieve um, or they call it, uh, the commentators call it an interlude, um, a small amount of time, just a, re a small reprieve from the effects of that for the time being. And what is the effect of that? They uh, read verses 15 to 17. Why is everyone afraid? And did they always know the truth? It says, Hi they say, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And that would be the question. When push comes to shove, those who those who say that they do not believe in God, when push comes to shove and things get really bad, do they believe in God? Do they do they understand that there is a God? 
Um, I believe they do. And one of the reasons for that is what the book of Romans says in um, chapter one, starting at verse 18. He says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can see clearly his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as, worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And it's pretty clear that they knew and they simply suppressed it. So when they were faced with it, when they were faced with the reality, and a lot of commentators say that, that the one thing man fears most is the revealed presence of God. And that that could be true. That that really could be true. So it's a, when they say, hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the laugh, wrath of the lamb, and they ask the question, who can stand? The only one who can stand is those who have been forgiven. Um, that's it. Okay, so we go into chapter 7. And in this chapter, this is where we see God delay his judgment until the 144,000 are sealed. And, of course, during this time, this would give, during this time of delay, this would give people, of course, time to um, come to him. And we see his mercy here. And what is interesting about this is... Um, not only will it give um, people time to come, um, but we see the angels carrying the seal of the living God. So where were the four angels standing? Um, they were standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even any tree. And then in verse 2, what was the angel carrying? And what command did he give to the four angels in verse 3? He was carrying the seal of the living God. I think that's so interesting. Do not harm the land or sea or trees until we have placed the seal on the foreheads of his servants. So um, God allowed him to place to carry the seal and place it on the foreheads of the servants. Now, um, in verses 4 to 8, um, we read about the um, servants that God is going to put his seal on. And they are from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, when the um, 
when Jesus was on earth and in the temple, they had the um, the genealogical records. And then when that was destroyed by the Romans, the actual genealogical records were destroyed. Um, most most Jews don't have their genealogical, the actual genealogical records because they were destroyed. They can probably, you know, do a DNA test, but the actual D, uh, genealogical records were destroyed. So when, um, when it says um, that God is going to place a seal upon 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel, it's not clear that they will know what tribe they're from, but that doesn't matter because God does. And it's, to me, that is a great thing because it reminds us that God always keeps his promises even when things look bleak. Before the institution of this technology where people could look up their genealogical, uh, you know, DNA, um, they may have thought all was lost, but... Um, God never abandoned them. And God here doesn't need a DNA test. God knows who they are. And God knows who 12,000 from the tribe of Judah are and 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin are. And God knows who 12,000 of the tribe of Manasseh are. We don't need to know that. And they don't even need to know that. God knows that. And God is the one. I love what J. Vernon McGee says. He says, the Old Testament is filled with prophecy that God has given to these people, that they are to be a nation forever, and that they are to be in the land of Israel forever. If you come to the New Testament and write Israel off as having disappeared and that God is through with them, you have to contradict the whole tenor and tone of the Old Testament. So here we see as plain as day that God has written out his promise. We don't need to know exactly how God is going to do this. Um, we just need to know this is what God says, and this is what he is going to do. So we don't need to um, say that this must be symbolic or this must not mean, he must not mean what he says. God here says exactly what he means. And it's very, very clear. Okay. Now, some commentators here uh, mention the absence of the tribes of Dan and Ephraim from the list, from this list. And they cite idolatry as a possible cause. Now, in the absence of Dan and Ephraim, we have um, Levi here, and we have um, Joseph in the place of, of Ephraim. Ephraim and Manasseh are generally in there. Manasseh is in there, 
but Joseph is in there instead of Ephraim. And they cite idolatry as a possible cause. It doesn't say why, but there is a passage in um, Deuteronomy chapter 12 that says, um, and it starts at verse, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 29, and it starts at verse 12. You are standing here today to enter into the covenant of the Lord your God. The Lord is making this covenant, including the curses. By entering into the covenant today, he will establish you as his people and confirm that he is your God, just as he promised you and as he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you are not the only ones with whom I am making this covenant with its curses. I am making this covenant both with you who stand here today in the presence of the Lord our God and also with future generations who are not standing here today. You remember how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we traveled through the lands of enemy nations as we left. You have seen their detestable practices and their idols made of wood, stone, and silver, and gold. I am making this covenant with you so that no one among you, no man, woman, clan, or tribe, will turn away from the Lord our God to worship these gods of other nations, and so that no root among you bears bitter and poisonous fruit. Those who hear the warnings of this curse should not congratulate themselves, thinking, I am safe, even though I am following the desires of my own stubborn heart. This would lead to utter ruin. The Lord will never pardon such people. Instead, his anger and jealousy will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will come down on them, and the Lord will erase their names under heaven. The Lord will separate them from all the tribes of Israel to pour out on them all the curses of the covenant recorded in this book of instruction. So it's, it is possible. We don't know. We are not told. Um, so that is a possibility. And it's also a warning. We don't want to um, take things lightly when it comes to God. We don't want to um, take his forgiveness, his generosity, his mercy lightly. We want to um, remember that um, he's also a just God, and we don't want to take things lightly. Okay, so we see here in our last comment about this list that in Ezekiel 48, verses 1 through 5, that in the millennium, God restores these tribes. And that's Ezekiel 48, verses 1 through 5, where it says, and this is in the millennium. So this is after the tribulation. And um, so this is after all this take place takes place. And this is Ezekiel 48. 1 through 5. Here is the list of tribes of Israel and the territory each is to receive. The territory of Dan 
is in the extreme north. Its boundary line follows the Heklon Road to Libo Hamath and then runs on to Hazar Anan on the border of Damascus with Hamath to the north. Dan's territory extends all the way across the land of Israel from east to west. Asher's territory lies south of Dan and also extends from east to west. Naphtali's land lies south of Asher's, also extending from east to west. Then comes Manasseh, south of Naphtali, and its territory also extends from east to west. South of Manasseh is Ephraim, and then Reuben, and then Judah, all of whose boundaries extend from east to west. So, we can see that in the millennium, these tribes are restored. And our question here, our last question is, what does this tell us about the character of God? And to me, it says mercy. And so our verse for that is, Surrend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. And that's Joel chapter 2, verse 13. And I will leave that, leave you with that today. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day and God bless you.